you keep trying to hurt me and instead terrorize a family that has not been able to let their loved one rest in peace. Yep. That sounds like our president, don't it? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Red Bluff, Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Also up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. In Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe, even during pandemics, even as, yes, it continues. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling and or maddening edition of the Bradcast. Glad you could be here. If you have yet to notice, there are the uh, 160 days, not that I'm counting, between now and the critical 2020 presidential election will now be about little more for Republicans than trying desperately to suppress certain voters game the results of those who do manage to vote and by all means at all costs distract from the fact that more than 100,000 Americans have now died on Trump's watch in the past three months thanks to his completely failed strategy to handle the coronavirus and also by the way that the economy is now tanking because of it we will talk about pretty much all of those things today and maybe for the next 160 days, for that matter, in hopes of saving our republic and our planet. And we will be joined for some help on one aspect of it by gerrymandering expert David Daly to discuss what he describes as Red Map 2.0, the new GOP plan to game legislative districts across the country for the next decade as Democrats are busy fighting the last battle over gerrymandering before the new maps are drawn after the 2020 census. This stuff is important. I mean, this is going to be a street fight, a street-by-street street battle, a precinct-by-precinct precinct battle for the right to vote and have that vote be counted. And let's just hope that Democrats don't bring a butter knife to a gunfight. Yep. Again. 
Uh, but first, as to the gaming of the... Hi, Desi Doyen. Oh, I hi. should say hello. <laughs> yes. Uh, by, as to the, the gaming of the November elections and the distraction from Trump's full stop coronavirus failure to protect the American people, uh, both efforts are now fully underway. Donald Trump on Wednesday threatened social media companies with new regulations or even shuddering after Twitter added fact-checked links to the bottom of two of his tweets related to absentee voting. Of course, as AP notes, the president can't unilaterally regulate or close the companies. Any such effort would likely require action by Congress if it was even possible or constitutional at all, which it most likely ain't. But that did not stop Trump from what AP describes as angrily issuing strong warnings because, of course, he loves playing the victim and the strongman at the same time. Claiming tech giants, quote, silence conservative voices, Trump tweeted early Wednesday, quote, we will strongly regulate or close them down before we can ever allow this to happen. Of course, he can't and he won't. And there is nothing that he can do about it other than, hey, leave Twitter, which sounds like a great idea to me. Later, he tweeted without, uh, quote, big without elaboration, quote, big action to follow. OK, Donnie, <laughs> we're waiting for your big action. Uh, he then repeated his claim that expanding mail in voting, quote, would be a free for all on cheating, forgery and the theft of ballots. Trump and his campaign first lashed out Tuesday night after Twitter added a very polite phrase to the bottom of two of Trump's tweets that had called mail-in ballots fraudulent and predicted that, quote, mailboxes will be robbed, among other things. Under the uh, tweets, there is now a link, a link reading, quote, get the facts about mail-in ballots that guides users to a Twitter page with various fact checks and news stories about absentee voting and some of Trump's unsubstantiated claims. Trump replied on Twitter, on Twitter now, accusing the platform of, quote, interfering in the 2020 presidential election oh and insisting that as president, I will not allow this to happen. He's so masculine, isn't he? <laughs> uh, his 2020 campaign manager, Brad Parscale, said uh, Twitter's, quote, clear political bias has led the campaign to pull, quote, all of our advertising from Twitter months ago. But in fact, Twitter banned all political advertising last year since November. So, no, it wasn't political bias that uh, resulted in you pulling your advertisement from Twitter, Brad. It was Twitter that stopped taking your dirty money for false campaign propaganda, Brad. Trump uh, did not explain his threat on Wednesday, and the call to expand regulation appeared to fly in the face of long-held conservative principles on deregulation. Of course, there is nothing conservative about Donald Trump or the Republican Party these days, so I do wish that outlets like AP and others would stop characterizing Republicans as conservative. They're Republicans, they're extremists, they're right-wingers, they are Trump sycophants bereft of any legitimate political or human values or beliefs beyond taking any and all actions to stay in power, no matter the cost to democracy, the economy, American values, or American uh, human lives. But they're certainly not conservative. Republican National Chair Rona Romney McDaniel chimed in, of course, to say... 
from their bogus fact check of Donald Trump to their head of site integrity displaying his clear hatred toward Republicans, Twitter's blatant bias has gone too far, she tweeted. Interesting that she was able to tweet that on, and, on Twitter. And Imagine Trump that. was yeah. able to still tweet yeah. on Twitter, too? Yeah. I guess their hatred toward Republicans and blatant bias hasn't gone that far. Trump on Tuesday night, according to TPM, I would, uh, well, he, he said he flew in, they said he flew into a rage on Tuesday night. I would say he pretended to be enraged after Twitter used its new fact-checking feature to correct his claim that voting by mail leads to election fraud. Twitter, Twitter is now interfering in the 2020 presidential election, Trump tweeted. They are saying my statement on mail-in ballots, which will lead to massive corruption and fraud, is incorrect. Trump accused the social media platform of completely stifling free speech, in all caps, so he, you know he means it. Uh, and again, he was using the free speech allowed him by Twitter, which is a private company that does not have to allow him to say anything at all. But they allowed him to make those allegations. He added, and I, as president, will not allow it to happen. Now, in fact, what Trump ought to be doing is thanking Twitter for giving him something to whine about to help distract from the news uh, and distract the news and the media and the American public, and yes, even us, I guess, here on the broadcast, from his feckless, deadly, monumentally failed coronavirus response that has resulted in more than 100,000 dead Americans in just the past 90 days, thanks to his grotesque incompetence as president. That's what everyone should be talking about today instead of a private company providing Trump a free service and a free platform daring to include a polite little link to inform uh, readers uh, with information that refutes some of Trump's false claims and his attempts to undermine American democracy itself. Instead, we're talking about his temper tantrum instead of his ineptitude and complete unfitness for the office that he corruptly holds. So you're welcome, Mr. Trump. And Twitter did not even ban him as they could have or delete any of his tweets if they wanted to, or even add a similar fact-check link to the most egregious of his recent tweets, as the New York Times, which spilled at least 1,500 words on this non-traversy distraction, uh, as they reported today, Twitter added information to refute the inaccuracies in President Trump's tweets for the first time on Tuesday after years of pressure over its inaction on his false and threatening posts. The links urged people to get the facts about voting by mail. The warning labels were a minor addition to Trump's tweets, but they represented a big shift in how Twitter deals with the president. For years, the company has faced criticism over Trump's posts on his most favored social media platform, which he has used to bully, cajole, threaten and spread falsehoods. But Twitter has repeatedly said the president's message uh, messages did not violate its terms of service. So, hey, nothing they could do. That changed on Tuesday after a backlash over tweets that Trump posted about Lori Klasutis. 
She's the young woman who died in 2001, according to the coroner's report, from complications of an undiagnosed heart condition while working for Joe Scarborough, who was at the time a Republican Florida congressman. As part of Trump's long-running feud with Scarborough, who now hosts Morning Joe on MSNBC, Trump had posted unsubstantiated conspiracy theories about Klausudis' death in recent days, suggesting that Scarborough had in fact murdered her in the midst of an affair or something for which there is actually zero legitimate evidence. Early Tuesday, a letter from the widower of uh, Ms. Klesudis addressed to the uh, Jack Dorsey, Twitter's chief executive. That letter became public, and in it, Timothy Klesudis asked Twitter to delete Trump's tweets about his late wife, calling them, quote, horrifying lies. Scarborough called the tweets unspeakably cruel. Others in the media, including uh, Katie Couric and CNN's Jake Tapper, expressed sympathy for the family. Tapper called Trump's tweets, quote, malicious lies. Twitter said it was, quote, deeply sorry about the pain these statements were causing the Klesudis family, but said that it would not remove Trump's tweets because they did not violate its policies. So, uh, wow, they are really blatantly biased against Republicans, aren't they? They let the guy call someone a murderer because he disagrees with uh, with Scarborough politically. And they added no label to those tweets, nor did they remove him, nor did they remove the tweets. Clearly, they hate Republicans over at Twitter, right? Instead, the company added warning labels to other messages posted by Trump on Tuesday where he claimed the mail-in ballots themselves would be illegally printed. Twitter determined that those unsubstantiated assertions could lead to voter confusion and that they merited a correction, according to a company spokesperson. And they did. But so did the tweets about Klesudis. The change immediately set off accusations by Trump and his 2020 re-election campaign that the company was biased against him. Now, uh, most of the outlets that have been covering this have been reposting the first of Trump's two tweets that earned that uh, get the facts about mail-in ballot, uh, that uh, label in their stories. So much of the focus in response has been on the first of those two tweets. That means, well, a couple of things. One, Trump is not only making these allegations um, and getting them circulated widely, but as one election integrity expert uh, uh, mentioned uh, to me recently, those false claims about Democrats committing absentee ballot fraud can also be seen as instructions for his own followers. How so? Well, I think it's a very good point. The notion that uh, he's saying, well... ballots will be stolen from the mailboxes. People will Ah, commit forgery. Sort of like a mafia boss talking about things that people can then hear and act upon. Well, remember, we saw that in 2016 where, uh, you know, after years of Republicans pretending that Democrats are voting twice at the polling place, who was arrested for voting twice at the polling place during the 2016 election? Well, Uh, several Republicans in different states claiming that they were doing it because they wanted to show how how it could be done. So, uh, yeah, you could see these as uh, instructions to his minions. 
Uh, now, voter fraud, of course, is rare in this country, but where it does happen, it does tend to be via absentee voting, which if you have read the Brad blog or listened to the show for any amount of time, you probably know I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of vote by mail other than in cases where a voter really cannot vote in person on Election Day for any reason or is forced to vote uh, on Election Day at the polls on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens. But even then, I advise uh, while, you know, I, I say, yes, you should get an absentee ballot. I advise uh, those voters to deliver their ballots by hand to the precinct or the county headquarters on or as near to Election Day as possible in order to maximize the odds of their ballots being counted as as cast. But of course, amid a global pandemic, obviously, vote by mail is crucial for uh, the rest of this year's elections pretty much everywhere across the country, including the never more uh, critical presidential election this November 3rd. Um, so that's sort of one point here. And two, if any media outlet is going to cover Trump's claims about absentee voter fraud, I insist I declare that from <laughs> here on out, they must include the fact that Donald Trump himself voted illegally by absentee ballot this year in Florida, where he has no legal permanent residence and is thus barred from voting by absentee or in person in the state of Florida. Yes, he recently claimed he has his, his permanent residence is now the Mar-a-Lago Club in Palm Beach, but that is a commercial facility only. It does not, according to an agreement that Trump himself signed with the city when he bought the place back in 1993, it does not allow for any permanent residence there, period. So, yes, Donald Trump is a voter fraud criminal himself, as I guess it will be left to me to keep pointing out. Now, as to his two tweets, which he's whining about, the first one is getting uh, reposted, uh, embedded quite a bit in the stories about all of this. It reads in full, there is no way, zero, in all caps, that mail-in ballots will be anything less than substantially fraudulent, mailboxes will be robbed, ballots will be forged and even legally, illegally printed out and fraudulently signed. The governor of California is sending ballots to millions of people. Anyone dot, 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 dot. Now, that's the tweet that they're embedding in stories about all of this. They're not including the tweet uh, after the dot, dot, dot part. Uh, and now, in fact, I know many Democrats feel there is no fraud carried out by absentee ballot. There, in fact, is and easily can be, along with vote buying and selling and intimidation by employers and abusive husbands and so forth, um, especially when it comes to vote by mailing, especially in states where they do not have thorough, you know, tested regimes in place. Places like Oregon and Washington and Colorado, which have been doing vote by mail for years. Uh, in fact, ballots can be taken out of mailboxes. They can be forged and fraudulently signed, though illegally printed out is a bit of a stretch a uh, pretty huge stretch, but it, it was the second tweet in this thread which contained the real lie that few are are really noting here. So uh, after the end of the first tweet, the governor of California sending ballots to millions of people, anyone dot dot dot. He picks it up to say dot 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 living anyone living in the state, no matter who they are or how they got there, will get one. 
That will be followed up with professionals telling all of these people, many of whom have never even thought of voting before, how and whom and for whom to vote. This will be a rigged election. No way. All right. Well, that part about the governor of California sending ballots to millions of people, anyone in the state, no matter who they are or how they got here, will get one. That is complete horse hockey. A lie. Yes. But the implication, of course, is that the ballots will be sent to non-citizens. There will be illegal immigrants voting in the 2020 election. Oh, no. Which is, of course, a complete lie. It's false. Ballots are not being sent in California to anyone in the state, no matter who they are or how they got here. They are being sent to registered voters only, period, end of story, due to the coronavirus crisis. And it is already unlawful for non-citizens to register to vote. So that is the real dog whistle, I think, in those tweets, along with the instructions to his supporters that they should, you know, rob mailboxes and fraudulently fraudulently sign ballots. Um, But no, it's just completely false. It's a complete and utter lie. And it deserves more than a little fact check link. It actually deserves to be deleted entirely. Anyway, Trump is, you know, pretending to be outraged, outraged by what Twitter is doing to him, the poor thing. And many in the media are reporting him as being enraged about what Twitter did to him. Well, he isn't. He isn't. He isn't enraged. Like, you know, being president, he just plays that on TV. Don't fall for it. Twitter is going easy on him. And by the way, Facebook is still serving the same democracy-warping function that it played in 2016, so he's not saying much at all about them because he likes what they're doing. As the uh, New York Times notes, Twitter is not the only tech company struggling with moderating Trump's threats and falsehoods online. Over the past few days, Trump posted identical comments about Ms. Klesutis's death on Facebook. Those also remain up on his page there, as they do at Twitter, But at the same time, as Kayla Gogarty reported at Media Matters last week to very little notice, as government officials consider implementing vote by mail for the 2020 election because of the coronavirus pandemic, President Trump is using Facebook and Instagram ads. Facebook owns Instagram to ramp up false allegations of voter fraud. Facebook's ad policy formerly banned misleading or false information, but the platform narrowed its policy in October of 2019, prohibiting only those ads that include claims debunked by third-party fact-checkers. And here's the more disturbing part. Facebook exempted ads from politicians that from even having to meet that fact-checking. So Facebook has made clear that they will fact check third party ads, but they will not fact check ads from actual politician campaigns. Facebook continues to let Trump run misleading ads all that he wants against his critics and his opponents. In fact, he's running a lot of them, as Media Matters found. Trump campaign ads, uh, which started running on Facebook and Instagram uh, in mid-May, falsely claimed that, quote, the radical left is trying to steal the most important election of our lives. Media Matters found at least 529 of these ads. 
More than half of them make various other false accusations against Democrats, including that they are, quote, stuffing the ballot boxes with fake and fraudulent votes. All the ads were paid for by Donald J. Trump for President Inc. They're being advertised on Trump's page, on Pence's page and on the Team Trump Facebook pages, among others. The ads have the potential, of course, to reach millions of people through the social media platform. And no one's talking about that. Even though Facebook claims its policies are, quote, helping to protect the 2020 U.S. elections. They are certainly not. They are earning tons of revenue on Trump's ads to promote his right-wing misinformation about voter fraud. So at least Twitter has banned all such political ads. Facebook has not. Trump is picking on Twitter for, for a specific reason and leaving Facebook alone, at least for now, because once again, they are helping him to spread disinformation to Americans at an alarming rate that is only going to get much, much worse as the November election nears. And remember, all of this... All of this, the last 20 minutes I've been yelling at you, uh, all of it is very helpful in just distracting people from the more than 100,000 Americans who have died on Donald Trump's feckless watch in the past 90 days alone, leading to an economic disaster and an unemployment rate that has not been seen in this country since the Great Depression. But sure, other than that, sure, he's just furious about Twitter, ain't he? Don't fall for it. Don't be distracted. Understand that this is all a part of the plan, all a part of his scheme to keep all of us from noticing what a horrible human being he is, what a horrible president of the United States that he is. All right. From the distractions uh, now to the gaming of elections by Republicans, as we are now seeing all across the country. That's next in the broadcast, and we will be joined by David Daly shortly on the GOP plan to game elections in the U.S. for the next decade. That plan is now having its dress rehearsal in my home state of Missouri. All of that's coming up straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Welcome back to Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, on yesterday's uh, Bradcast, we reported in uh, in some detail on the very good news out of a federal court in Florida where a federal judge over the weekend found that the 
GOP legislature's uh, attempt down in Florida, along with Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, to gut Amendment 4 with what amounted to a poll tax was in violation of the Constitution. Now, Amendment 4 was a statewide initiative that was adopted overwhelmingly by 65% of voters in 2018 after a campaign that was supported by the ACLU, the League of Women Voters, and the Koch brothers and the Christian Right uh, Coalition. So this was a a bipartisan effort led by a couple of citizens, some former felons, in fact, to restore voting rights to former felons in the Sunshine State where they had previously lost voting rights for life. Now, immediately after Amendment 4 was adopted to allow former felons to vote, it was adopted by, as I said, a huge margin in 2018. Governor DeSantis, who barely won his election that same year, called on the GOP legislature to undermine the constitutional amendment with a new law to require former felons to pay off all fines and fees before they could be allowed to register to vote, even though there was no actual state record of who owed what. So former felons, in fear of being thrown in jail again, they weren't registering to vote because they didn't know if they owed any fees. They didn't want to get busted for for perjury and signing registration forms where they had to attest as much that, you know, uh, and, and, and there was no way to figure out. There was no way to figure out who owed what. And election officials in all over the state, you know, county election officials responsible for verifying the validity of these registrations, they had nowhere to check any of this. So that was the law. That was the way they tried to undermine Amendment 4 just after it was passed by a huge bipartisan majority in the state. So there was a lawsuit filed against that uh, against that law. U.S. District Judge Robert Henkel over the weekend found that the GOP measure to to do this was, in fact, a poll tax, because if you could afford to pay it, well, you could vote if you couldn't then you couldn't vote. And that's a violation of the 24th Amendment, which bans poll taxes. Now, despite what legal reporter Mark Joseph Stern at Slate described as one of the best voting rights opinions I've ever read, he said it was incredibly thorough, meticulous, fact-laden, and quite stirring, and virtually impossible for the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to legitimately overturn, Despite all of that, Governor DeSantis now says, yes, he's decided he's going to try to overturn it anyway. He's going to appeal because that's how much Florida, the Florida GOP is terrified of the possibility of nearly one and a half million former felons being allowed to register to vote this year. Governor DeSantis uh, said that he'll appeal the federal judge's decision striking down the Florida GOP law that restricted the voting rights of ex-felons. The judge, U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle, said that much of his ruling, however, was based on what the 11th Circuit had already said in the preliminary orders in the case. Indeed, the appeals court has largely backed Hinkle's approach when Florida appealed issues that arose earlier in this particular case. Nonetheless, as Mark Joseph Stern notes, the court has since been packed with a majority of Trump judges. Oh, boy. So who knows how they will sell themselves out to prevent the possibility of Florida turning blue this year. We don't know. But this is how far 
the GOP is willing to go uh, to, you know, to stop the will of the voters to undermine it. Sadly, Florida is not the only GOP dominated state hoping to immediately undermine the will of bipartisan voters who in uh, 2018 had adopted landmark constitutional amendments by a landslide. Florida is not the only state. Shamefully, the Republican supermajorities in the Missouri state legislature are also now trying to do something very similar. And as my guest coming up recently described in the New York Times last week, it is a dress rehearsal for every other GOP-dominated state in the country. So pay attention. David Daly joins us next on the broadcast to discuss the new gerrymandering scheme that he describes as RedMap 2.0. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Don't let the red rain fall again, not for another decade. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. In December of 2018, after the results were in from that year's blue wave midterm elections, David Lieb at Associated Press reported the votes won't be cast for another four years, yet Democrats already appear likely to gain seats in Missouri's Republican-dominated legislature in 2022. The reason? A one-of-its-kind redistricting initiative approved statewide by Missouri voters in the recent midterm elections. Missouri's initiative marks a new frontier in a growing movement against partisan gerrymandering that has now notched ballot box victories in eight states over the past decade, Lieb reported. Other states have created independent commissions and required bipartisan votes to redraw legislative and congressional districts. Missouri will be the first to rely on a new mathematical formula to try to engineer, quote, partisan fairness and, quote, competitiveness in its state legislative districts, even as the legislature will continue drawing the state's congressional districts. An Associated Press analysis of the new Missouri formula shows it has the potential to end the Republicans' supermajorities in the state house and state Senate in my old home state and move the chambers closer to the more even partisan division that is often reflected in statewide races. Missouri's engaged in an experiment, said Sam Wang, director of the Princeton University Gerrymandering Project, which uses math to measure partisan advantages in redistricting. Democrats have a fighting chance in a way that they didn't have before, Wang added, but a lot of it depends on what they do with it, he said. A lot also depends on what Republicans do with it. Before we even get to the next decennial redrawing of district maps in the Show Me State following the 2020 census, 
As Democrats, after getting screwed for a decade thanks to Karl Rove's ingenious gaming of the last decennial redistricting, Democrats always do seem to be fighting the last war when Republicans are busy inventing new ones, as David Daly notes in a New York Times op-ed last week. He writes, when Karl Rove laid out the Republicans' plan to win back power by weaponizing redistricting in a March 2010 op-ed, Democrats failed to pay proper attention. The vision set forth, called Red Map, short for the Redistricting Majority Project, proved simple yet revolutionary, says Daly. In most states, legislatures control the decennial redistricting that follows the census. So in November of 2010, Republicans invested tens of millions of dollars in these ordinary, sleepy local races and swept elections. Through gerrymandering, they then drew themselves huge advantages in Congress and state capitals, firewalls that have allowed Republicans in Wisconsin, North Carolina, Michigan and elsewhere to survive wave elections in which Democratic state legislative candidates won hundreds of thousands more votes, but still failed to gain majorities in the state legislatures or congressional delegations. It's a census year election again, warns Daly, and this time both sides understand the stakes. Democrats know down-ballot elections this fall are the last opportunity to close the redistricting gap before next decade's maps are drawn. Republicans, however, appear to have a different strategy for 2020, subtler, more technical and instructed by successful legal challenges that overturned Republican-drawn maps in North Carolina and Pennsylvania as unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders, even though it took nearly a decade for that to happen in either of those states. Last week, Daily writes, Republicans in Missouri presented a dress rehearsal of this new plan. If left unchallenged, he says, it could once again die many states red for a decade or more. Daly concludes his Times piece by noting Republicans are looking ahead and planning carefully if Democrats look to win last decade's battle and fail to win this one, they'll be staring at another decade in the wilderness and America's creep toward anti-majoritarianism will accelerate. So what is this new scheme now unfolding as a dress rehearsal in Missouri? Well, joining us now to explain is David Daly. He's the former editor-in-chief of Salon. Yes, he was my old boss. He is now a senior fellow at FairVote.org, where he continues the most important fight we have in this country, which is for fair elections for all and, in his case, specifically the end to extreme partisan gerrymandering, which he documented in his first book, with an unpronounceable on the radio title. So we just call it Rat Flipped, the story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy. And he is now back with a brand new book, which we can pronounce on the radio, called Unrigged, How Americans Are Battling Back to Save Democracy. David Daly, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Oh, it's a pleasure, Brad. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, so let's uh, let's step through this scheme as you uh, as you spell it out, in Missouri, uh, which you sort of describe as as a three step plan by state Republicans, and argue that it will end up as a national model for Republicans in a bunch of other states as well. And and you're right, it is uh, subtler and more technical as you described it. So you may have to help us understand some of this. First, what exactly did Missouri voters adopt in 2018 to end 
partisan extreme gerrymandering that the GOP is now looking to amend with their new scheme. In Missouri, you had a really interesting initiative pass, mm-hmm. and it passed overwhelmingly with more than 62% of voters. So that means Republicans, Democrats, Independents all signed on. Mm-hmm. And it was really an innovative idea. They would create an office of a nonpartisan state demographer, mm-hmm. and the demographer would draw the lines overseen by a truly nonpartisan citizen commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, this sweeps into law, and immediately Republicans begin scheming about how they can go ahead and undo it. And, uh, of course, that's what Republicans do. They try to undo the will of the people. So they've come with a, uh, uh, now, as you describe it, a three-step plan to undo that measure from 2018 uh, that I guess will be on the ballot uh, 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 again as a, uh, an amendment to the Constitution as well this, uh, this November. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Now that it has cleared both houses in Missouri, it will head to the voters in the fall. All right. So let's go quickly through these uh, three steps that you cite. Uh, One, make it harder for Missouri citizens to gain legal standing to challenge a gerrymandered map. Uh, That's how the maps in in Pennsylvania and North Carolina were eventually withdrawn after after citizen challenges to them. That's exactly right. Uh, Citizens were able to bring challenges to those maps in in state Supreme Court Mm -hmm. in North Carolina and in Pennsylvania. The U.S. Supreme Court, of course, as we know, ruled gerrymandering a a non-justiciable political issue in the last session and Mm -hmm. essentially closed the doors to the federal courthouse. But you can still use state constitutions and make the case that a partisan gerrymander has diluted the value of your vote. What the Republicans are trying to say, and they've, they've put into actual legal language here, is that if you are in a district in which you have been packed, which is to say if you are a Democratic voter and you've been packed into an overwhelmingly Democratic district, mm-hmm. you cannot complain that your vote has been diluted statewide because you still have the ability to elect a Democrat in your own individual district. So you can't prove that you have been harmed in any way. And that's something that they're actually writing into the Constitution, that if you're a Democrat in one of these, and and basically Missouri is uh, very Democratic on the east side, uh, where St. Louis is, and very Democratic on the west side, where Kansas City is, and it's sort of very, very red everywhere else in between. So they're basically writing it into the Constitution that it will be harder for citizens to actually uh, just have standing at all to challenge these maps? That's exactly right. If you have standing, mm-hmm. that is, in a legal sense, mm-hmm. you have to show that you have been harmed. And people can try to make the case in other states that they have been harmed because they've been packed into a district so overwhelmingly one-sided mm-hmm. that it creates a statewide skew, right? If, so if you pack all of the Democrats into two or three districts that they win overwhelmingly, mm-hmm. and then you give the rest of the seats to the other party and more narrowly, uh, you have the entire state's politics. What this says is that that is not a harm because you can still elect that Democrat from that individual district. But 
that Democrat just doesn't have any say statewide. Right, uh, which uh, seems uh, dubious f- from a start, but I guess if they're writing this into the Constitution, it will, by definition, be constitutional uh, under state law. All right, number two, you, you write that if, in fact... A voter is able to get through that, you know, that that additional difficulty that, in fact, it would then limit what judges can and cannot do if, in fact, a challenge to the map is successful. This is amazing, right? So first you put up a big hurdle in front of voters and say, cross this. Mm -hmm. If they are able to jump high enough, these cases first have to go to a specific Missouri court Mm -hmm. that has already been packed with partisans. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And then, if that partisan court Mm -hmm. agrees and finds that a map has been gerrymandered, these judges do not have the right to throw out the entire map and to tell the politicians to start over, which is what happened in North Carolina and Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. in other states. Instead, they're only able to make tweaks around the edges of the individual districts that have caused the problem, which means you would effectively be keeping almost all of the bias in the map. You might be fixing one or two districts, making those slightly more fair. Mm -hmm. You would still have uh, the overall partisan intent stays. So essentially, the executive branch of the government in Missouri, I'm sorry, the legislative branch of the government in Missouri would be telling the judicial branch of the government in Missouri how they may judge any of these cases and what remedies they may or may not take based on what, how, how they would like uh, this, uh, this process to play out. That's exactly right. They have an outcome in mind, which is that they want to be able to draw the map, Mm -hmm. and then they want that map to be protected from any challenge. So they are ensuring first that they get friendly judges, and then they're tying the hands of those friendly judges from doing almost anything to actually remedy or change those maps. And then there's the third part of this initiative, and this is, I think, the big one uh, that I know that a lot of Republicans are looking at nationally because it came up in, an, in a number of ways in uh, some of these other gerrymandering cases around the country, and in, in North Carolina specifically. Uh, apparently, they, they want to stop counting all persons in the state when they're figuring out how to redistrict, uh, and as I think is required by the Constitution, as I understand it, and, and instead use only voting age population, which would mean only citizens, no non-citizens, no children, I guess, but only voting age population to determine the number of the citizenry. Uh, How does that change the equation for redistricting? Uh, Dramatically. It changes the definition of representation, and it overwhelmingly tilts this in the direction of conservatives and Republicans. So right now, Mm -hmm. you take the entire population of the state and you divide it by the number of districts, and Mm -hmm. you have to have equal population in these these state legislative districts. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has been the standard for a long time. It it is not in the Constitution, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. The Constitution requires a total population for uh, Congress, Mm -hmm. but it gives state legislatures Mm -hmm. a little more leeway. Ah. Nevertheless, a total population has been the guiding standard that everybody has used for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were to change this, if you were to change this and to say that the baseline that we're going to count is not everybody, Mm -hmm. but only citizens who are over
over the age of 18, what you are doing is you are eliminating huge numbers of people. You are eliminating anybody under the age of 18. You are eliminating non-citizens. You are curating and manicuring an electorate that is older, more rural, more conservative, and, of course, whiter. Mm -hmm. uh, Thomas Hoffler, the mastermind of Republican redistricting efforts over a number of decades mm -hmm. before his death, he did a study on citizen voting age population in Texas. Um, and what he found was that if you were able to use a, a CVAP, as they call it, for citizen voting age population, mm -hmm. you would essentially turn back two decades worth of demographic change mm. in Texas. Mm -hmm. That's how dramatic a change this would be. And that, of course, is the reason they want to do it, despite the fact that, last I checked, legislatures are supposed to be representing all of the people in the state, including uh, children, including non-citizens who uh, get various services, etc. And so uh, this is just, uh, you know, again, the new scheme from Republicans to game the system. And I'm wondering if... Uh, Democrats are paying enough attention here. You report that this scheme, the dress rehearsal, as you describe it in Missouri, is now being sort of modeled by the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, to be proposed uh, in, in similar measures across the country and other GOP-controlled states? That's exactly right. I got my hands on a, uh, on a secret audio transcript of an ALEC conference from last summer down in Texas, and you had some of the top Republican election laws and redistricting efforts in a room, and they told all these state legislatures that they've got to begin thinking about citizen voting age population and that this is how they need to be redistricting in 2021. You are going to see this in state capitals around the country, especially those states that are Republican trifectas, mm -hmm. uh, in states like Texas, Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, and Missouri. This is going to be the next fight. I don't think Democrats are paying enough attention to this. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sure that, that they have the political power in these places to stop it anyway. Mm. However, this is a presidential election year. Democrats are thinking about the White House. They're mm -hmm. thinking about the Senate. They're thinking about holding on to the House. But there's so much more at risk in this election. This is the last election before these maps are going to be drawn for another decade. Mm. Democrats have also got to be focused down ballot, and they've got to be focused down ballot in a much more strategic way, I think, than they are thinking about this now. Um, Democrats have been thinking about this as far as how do we undo red map? How do we win back seats at the table in 2010? How do we flip some of these state legislative chambers? Mm -hmm. They do have to do that, but the Republicans aren't stopping there. The Republicans are going to have a 2020 red map 2.0 plan, and if Democrats are not equally focused on on playing offense and defense, they are going to get checkmated. And this, by the way, this was uh, this was at the heart, was it not, of the fight over uh, getting a citizenship question on the uh, on the census, which eventually the uh, Trump administration screwed up so badly that even their own stolen U.S. Supreme Court uh, had to had to do away with it. But wasn't this at the heart of it that if they if they do the census and if they can get a good tracking of who is a citizen and who is not a citizen, then they could then use those numbers to wage this battle state by state when it comes to redistricting? 
if you go back and look at the email between Hoffler and various members of the Census Bureau, the entire purpose of the citizenship question on the census was to gain the highly specific citizenship uh, data you would need to draw state legislative lines. Now, that question is not going to be on the census, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, but Republicans still think that they're going to be able to use what's already in the census, the kind of information that's already being collected, Mm -hmm. in order to grab this information and data anyway. And there's really not much that, in fact, Democrats can do uh, because, you, if, for example, in a state like Missouri, where they've got uh, Republican supermajorities that can get this onto the ballot, I guess the best that Repub- that uh, Democrats could do is uh, just, uh, you know, an information campaign about this and fight like hell against this initiative come this November and say that uh, argue that Democrat that uh, Republicans want to undo what the voters did back in 2018. That's kind of all they can do, is it not? But they have to be doing it now. Right. You know, um, here's the thing. That sounds like there's not much that they can do. Mm-hmm. The thing is, 62% of voters in Missouri wanted this to be nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they wanted fair maps. Uh-huh. Uh, 64% of voters in Florida wanted to restore voting rights to former felons. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we saw in 2018 and 2019 and all of these initiatives around the country is that Republicans, Democrats, and independents all are eager to see fairness in our elections. Citizen voting age population would rig elections red. It would skew this map whiter and more conservative and more Republican for possibly two decades to come. Mm. This is the next scheme it is it's technical it sounds wonky it's hard to explain mm-hmm. but if we don't start if we don't start talking about it this is going to happen in less than a year it's deeply un-american i think it would offend people to their core but they've got to know about it first yep. Yep. when people know about this stuff they hate it well Thank you for uh, helping to people understand this, because you're right. It is wonky. It is hard to understand. It was hard to understand Red Map, frankly. Uh, it only took a decade and, and your book for people to finally understand what just happened to them over the past 10 years. David Daly, you've got a new book. I've got just a minute or two here. You've got a new book out. The title, uh, which I I love, if only because I'm allowed to say it on the radio, Unrigged, (laughs) How Americans Are Battling Back to Save Democracy. Uh, Very quickly, uh, what's that book about? You know, I had written a book about how democracies die, and I wanted to talk about how how, um, seriously Americans were trying to fight back for voting rights. So I went around the country. I spent a year embedded in all of these democracy movements in the redistricting fights in uh, Michigan, uh, mm-hmm. in the battle for Native American voting rights in North Dakota and Utah and Arizona, down in Florida and Alabama as they fought for felon voting rights, mm-hmm. um, in Idaho as um, a group of millennials bought an RV and worked to expand Medicaid in a state as mm-hmm. as hopelessly red as you know Taylor Swift's lipstick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these these movements win, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them have been undercut, but the movement towards fairness in this country has never been a straight line, right? I mean, Dr. King talked about the moral arc of the universe, that it's long, that it bends towards justice. Um, I think what this book tries to talk about is how Americans have got to grab their hands onto that arc and pull it 
really, really hard in the direction that they want it to go. The arc only bends towards a justice when we all have our hands on it. And uh, what I love about it, and, and uh, thank you for sending me a copy, your, your publisher uh, notes that in case after case, town after town, and in the home of one concerned citizen after another, uh, Daily demonstrates the power of volunteers fighting to rejuvenate a democracy that partisans are eager to corrode, and the Supreme Court remains sadly uneager to defend. The work is far from over, but in these pages is a record of nonpartisan citizen-led initiatives that have fought for justice and won, as Daily reports, despite political fatigue and unprecedented polarization, a mighty unrigging is underway. And uh, it, it tells some uh, terrific stories about the citizens around the country who are making the difference. Yes, you mentioned that uh, uh, that Florida effort to uh, restore voting rights to former felons. That, you know, was not led by a politician. It was just led by a, a couple of guys, a couple of former felons, in fact, uh, who fought that years-long fight. Uh, and others around the country are taking similar initiatives. And I think that's what it's going to take. God knows our politicians ain't going to save us, but maybe we will. Uh, David Daly, really appreciate you joining us today. You can find uh, his work, of course, at fairvote.org. I will link to his New York Times opinion piece called Republicans Have a New Plan to Thwart the Will of the People. And you can find him and harass him on the Twitters at Dave Daly, the number three, Dave Daly three. Dave, always great speaking with you, my friend. We'll do it again soon. Thanks so much, Brad. You bet. Okay, we've got to get out here. Uh, yes, but I have a, one quick thought, thought about yeah? this, the way that Republicans are fighting so hard to prevent people from voting, to to uh, to subvert the will of the voters. I saw this on Twitter. can't remember who said it, but they said, the GOP has become a virus. It now exists solely to replicate itself. Yeah, that's kind of right on the money, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and thankfully, as uh, David uh, details in his book, Unrigged, there are citizens out there, citizens, folks like you listening to this show, who are doing a hell of a good job trying to save this country. So uh, thank you for that. Also, thank you for listening today. Also, thank you to my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you. Uh, who uh, tuned in today. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. All of that is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to keep us on your public airwaves every day, fighting the good fight, and in fact, uh, uh, interviewing a lot of the folks that are in uh, David's book here, I notice, over the years. Uh, that's bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.